so we looked last week at uh, submission um, uh, amongst uh, the government. We're getting a little closer to home tonight. Submission uh, kind of in the employee-employer relationship. And then next week, he will carry that same train of thought into the husbands and wives. And again, um, I think that Peter is really keying in on this as a pretty critical subject matter that we need to understand and we need to grasp. And if we don't grasp it in the governmental side, like last week, we don't grasp it in the, you know, the side tonight with the employee-employer relationship, we're not going to grasp it when we get finally to the husband and wife and that relationship there. So 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be beginning in verse 18. And uh, again, as, as I teach or I do a lot of marriage counseling, this is a portion of scripture that I actually talk about quite a bit because he moves from here and he moves into the, the marriage relationship. And yet in the marriage relationship, as we're going to talk about next week when we get there, he really, Peter starts off by pointing back both for the wives and the husbands of the example of Jesus. So it says this, it says, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, again, when Peter uses this word servant, it would be more like saying today it's really the employee. Un understand that when, when, um, he was, when Peter was alive and when Peter was writing and all the disciples, in the Roman Empire, six out of ten people were looked at as slaves. And yet in that slave, some of them were really more just employees per se, rather than the, the thing of slaves that we would look at. And so, uh, again, it, it's, we look at that. I'm an employee of Calvary Chapel South Bay. So what we're going to be talking about more is more of the employee relationship rather than the slave, our understanding of slaves, since most of us aren't really in that place of the slaves in a sense. But when it comes to submission, again, I was read this quote, and this quote said, uh, the counsel seems unnecessary uh, until we realize that it's quite possible for servants to obey their masters without living in a spirit of submission to them. Outwardly, we can do what people ask and inwardly be in rebellion against them. I'm going to read that one more time. Outwardly, we can do what people ask and inwardly be in rebellion against them. And this goes across the board, whether it's the government, whether it's the employee, or whether it's the marriage. And again, sadly enough, I have been in that place where I have been an employee, and uh, outwardly I may be going along with the program, but inwardly uh, I am like in complete and total rebellion, in complete and total rebellion. But when we're talking about Christians submissive in the workplace, we're walking in obedience to the Lord. When we will do that, we're walking in obedience to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but again, I've had some good employers and I've had some not so good employers. In fact, even like what Peter would say would be harsh. Uh, and yet the command is the same. Again, God is looking at our conduct, our actions and our attitudes as we go through all of this. Verse 19, for this is commendable 
If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Now, the word commendable, it means this, and I love this. It means, for this is grace. For this is grace. So if while submitting to the Lord, we endure grief and suffering caused by someone who was not gentle but harsh, Peter would say, this is grace. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Again, Peter's painting a picture for us which says the employee-employer relationship, if you listen, if you do something wrong, your employer has every right to fire you or you know, to, to punish you in a sense. But, but Peter is saying, but yet if we decide to be honoring to the God and maybe we didn't do anything wrong and yet we're getting accused or blamed, he's saying this is grace when we choose to honor God through that. I need to also say, because we are in a marriage setting, uh, both here and online, uh, because the word beaten is used, anytime a husband or a wife would touch a spouse in a way other than that is desired and wanted, the Bible would say that is not love, it is sin, and again, Unfortunately, I have seen a lot of sinful things go on in people's marriages and they try to justify it through the scripture that the Bible says is not okay, that God is not okay with it. Listen, God cares deeply about the way in which his daughter and his son is treated. And we cannot treat our spouse any way we like and think that God is okay with it. God gives us very specific rules that is, this is what this should look like. He lays it out in Ephesians, and in the next chapter, we're going to see that kind of laid out. And if we choose to say, well, God, I don't care about that. I want to treat them however I want. Man, God, God gives us some uh, warnings about if we choose to do that. He is not okay with us treating his daughter or son any way we want and think that he is. Uh, just so that we're clear on that one. Verse 21 goes on to say, and again, this is really what I believe the focal point of what Peter is saying here. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You know, and I find it interesting that oftentimes we always want the Bible verse that tells me that I'm wonderful and everything is going to be wonderful within my life and I'm not going to experience any hurt or pain or anything like that. Now, again, God does look at you, as we talked about last week, as precious. But can I tell you, you're not going to find that verse in the Bible that says everything is always and forever going to be wonderful within your life. In fact, the Bible says if you choose to live godly, you will suffer persecution. Peter tells us that suffering is a part of our calling. Just like Paul would tell us when he says, hey, when you get married, if you get married, you're going to have problems. Paul says marriage equates problems. And so that, that's, what, that's what Paul would say. But Peter equates our Christian life with suffering. Now, again, I, I think in, especially in our United States where we just suffering is just not a part of our world. That's why I so love going out to missions and taking people to another place on the planet that is so unlike the U.S. 
because you see that life is so radically different. When you go, if you went with us up to Kitgum, Uganda, and you see, man, these people live in suffering every day. When they pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that, they mean that because they don't know where their next meal is coming from. And, and yet again, Peter tells us suffering is going to be part of the equation if we're going to choose to follow him, to walk in his steps. And again, our definition of the submission from last week that we looked at, the biblical te teaching on submission focuses primarily on the spirit with which we view other people. The real issue is the spirit of consideration and respect we have for each other. Most people don't believe this, but truly with submission comes freedom. And yet most people think submission is all about bondage. It's not about bondage from Jesus's perspective. Jesus says to each one of us, if any man come after me, any woman come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Denying self, a selfless life is what he's calling us to. A selfless life is what he came and lived and set that example for us. I read this quote and it said, do you know the liberation that comes from giving up your rights? It means that you are set free from the seething anger and bitterness you feel when someone doesn't act towards you the way you think they should. Again, we underscore that self-denial means the freedom to give way to others. It means to hold others' interest above our own interest. And the key to submission is to follow in Jesus' step. Whether, again, we're dealing with the government, the police officers, or, you know, at work, or even in marriage. Jesus Christ is our example, and we are to follow in his steps. And it looks like this, verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. The Bible says that Jesus was perfect according to the law, which you and I cannot claim, uh, that we are guilty of sin, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet Jesus Christ did not fall short. And the things that came out of his mouth were truth and life. And yet what is it that's coming out of our mouth when it has to do with our work or even it has to do with our spouse? Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Again, Christ is a perfect example of patient submission to unjust suffering, committing himself to his father and trusting in him. Jesus did not retaliate. He did not threaten. Let me say that again. Jesus did not retaliate. He did not threaten. The example is Jesus. He did not retaliate. He did not threaten. But he committed himself and trusted in his father. Verse 24, who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Again, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was beaten, listen, so that we wouldn't have to be. Jesus received stripes. We receive healing. We receive forgiveness. We receive grace and love. Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned 
to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Again, the Bible says, all we like sheep, we have gone astray. David says there in the end of Psalms 119, man, I, I have gone astray. Seek your servant that I may live. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They know him and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus calls us sheep. Again, you look at sheep, they're not very smart. They wander off. They go in places they shouldn't. They stray into danger. And again, without the shepherd, they couldn't make it in the wilderness. It's a lot like us and how we need to return to the great shepherd, the one who is the overseer of our souls. It's Jesus. Jesus left us an example. And Peter tells us that we should follow in his footsteps. I was lost, but in Jesus Christ, I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I've heard the voice of Jesus calling, and it's my desire to follow. And so with this, let's start with the ladies. Okay. Um, I kind of honed in. I love the, just the word servants. And I thought, as Pat pointed out, in today in our culture, to be a servant is really despised by the world, but yet in God's economy, it's a respected position. Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said this, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's, that's if we wanna be great in God's kingdom, then we need to be servants. And again, the word, it goes on to tell us that the servant is, is to be submissive, to be subject to, to be a good servant, and they're supposed to do it with all fear, in reverence, um, in a reverent fear of the Lord with proper respect. And I love that Peter addresses this, this section to servants. And as Pat kind of pointed out a little bit, um, it said something I read, it said that the Greek word here for servants, it refers to more of a household servant who may have even been well-educated and they were the ones that sort of managed the estate. They were a domestic household servant or an employee. And it, it could be to anyone who was under the authority of another. And for us women as wives, yes, that even can refer to our relationship with our spouse as, as he being the head of the home. Now, sometimes I was thinking for us ladies, when you think about that, again, because the world looks at being a servant as, oh, man, you're not going to do that. You're going to be a doormat. But... For us as, as ladies, sometimes you might almost feel like a household servant, feel unappreciated, unloved, taken for granted by those whom you serve. There's no trophy or rewards for cleaning the toilets or changing diapers or making meals or doing laundry. Our flesh might even want to say, you're not my boss, I don't have to listen to you and I don't have to put up with this. But in God's order, God would tell us, well, yes, actually, he is the boss of the home because that's the way that God made it. But don't worry, he will have to account to God for the kind of boss that he is. So we're off the hook on that one. But to be a servant, it does not mean that you're any less of a person. You don't have less value as a person. Even in Peter's day, as I pointed out, some of these servants were well-educated. They were more like management. They weren't like slaves, like we think of slaves like someone with a chain around their feet and they're out in the fields, you know, working all day long. But yet these were probably very important people um, in the service of this household. And in, 
and in God's perspective, to serve others is to be like Jesus, and that is the greatest choice. So don't grow weary in this idea of service because it is what we're called to do. Keep on serving well. Choose to be respectful. Be sure that we serve with the right heart. As Pat pointed out, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit in a minute, um, the attitude of our heart is really important when we serve because any of us can go through the motions and do, all right, fine, I'll do it. But God's looking at our heart, and we need that to be right out of reverence um, to the Lord above all others. Something that I noticed when I was looking at these verses is that Peter shares um, uh, three characteristics of a servant. And so I kind of honed in on those three things that um, kind of jumped out to me. He said that a servant is commendable, a servant is called, and a servant is committed. So I was just going to take a little time and look at each of those um, characteristics that I noticed. In verse 19, as Pat pointed out, it says, this is, to be a servant, this is commendable. This is a gracious thing, for God is pleased. Because of your conscience towards God, being mindful of God and being conscious of what would please him, you endure grief and you suffer wrongfully. And I like that because... Um, as a servant, it is commendable, it's gracious, it's a good thing when we, as women, as wives, we patiently endure unjust treatment. Now, again, I just put a little reality check for myself. Prince Charming here may not always be charming, sorry. But then, too, for us as wives, we might be Corella Deville every now and then in the home. So we're all sinners. That's the reality. And so what we see in the movies and in those kind of Cinderella and everything is happily ever after, that's just not reality. So there's going to be sad days. There's going to be things where we disagree. There's going to be things where we hurt and offend one another. Maybe not intentionally, but we're going to do that. And yet it's commendable if I want to be a servant of the Lord when because of my conscience toward the Lord, because I want to do what pleases Jesus, when I endure grief and I might suffer wrongfully. Maybe he says something that's not very kind. Maybe he has an attitude towards me, and yet I have a choice to make. And when I make that choice to endure it as unto the Lord, that is commendable to God. That is pleasing to him. Things are not always going to go our way. Remember, we made that vow for better or for worse. Well, some days are going to be the worst days. And those are the times we need to look to Jesus to help us to endure and to behave rightly that we might be that servant that is commendable in God's eyes. In verse 20, Pat pointed out, what credit is it if you're beaten for your fault and you take it patiently? Again, I just want to reiterate the disclaimer that Pat pointed out. There should not be any beating going on in any of our marriages. That is not something that's okay with the Lord. That would be a reason to get help, get professional outside help, if there's something like that going in your marriages, going on in your marriage. But I think the point is here, Peter isn't talking about literally beating one another up, but he's pointing out here that when I sin, there are going to be consequences. They may not be instant. They, they might not happen instantly, but they will come. And that is not unjust suffering. That's not the kind of suffering that Peter is talking about here where God says, oh, good, look, Mary sinned, so now she's being punished. And that's not commendable. If I sinned and I get punished, that's on me, and that's the punishment I deserve. But what Peter is talking about, it goes on to say, but 
If we suffer for doing good and endure through that, that pleases God. That is what is commendable before God. That's what makes a commendable servant. The second characteristic that I saw in this whole little section of servants is in verse 21, and that's called. It says, to this you were called. Remember last week, Peter instructed us about our obedience to authority by telling us two reasons we needed to submit and obey. Number one was for the Lord's sake, and number two was because it is the will of God. Well, tonight in verse 21, he's going to add a third reason that we need to submit and serve. And that third reason is because we are called to this. It is our calling in Christ. We are called to be servants. As a believer, we have been called for this very purpose. Verse 21 goes on to say that Jesus Christ suffered for us. He was our example. We are called to follow in his steps. Listen to how the message reads on this verse. This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know it could be done and know how to do it step by step. I really like the way that says that because it almost sounds impossible. This is too hard. I don't want to have to serve. And when he's acting like that, I don't think he deserves me to serve him. And yet Jesus said, Jesus did this. He suffered everything that came his way so that we would know it is possible. It can be done. And we would know how to do it step by step. And so Peter is reminding us here of Jesus' example, how we are to serve and what it looks like. Verse 22, he goes on to say that he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. There was no retaliation, no revenge, no gossip, slandering, or exaggeration by Jesus. And as Pat pointed out, I can pretend to submit on the outside. And in reality, in my heart, I'm sinning away because I have a wrong attitude. You know what, though, what I find, when that kind of thing is going on and brewing within, it's not too long before that internal wrong attitude becomes a wrong judgment or, or a harsh word or some kind of thing is going to come out because the Bible says that out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth is going to speak. So it's eventually going to come out anyways. I'm not fooling anyone but myself and not even that. But Jesus didn't do that. When he was beaten, when he was taken advantage, when he was mocked, when he was ridiculed, he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. We can never fully imitate Jesus because Jesus didn't die because he had any sins. He didn't have any. He died for our sins. But we can attempt to follow by his example, by showing mercy to those that maybe don't treat us correctly or treat us kindly all the, all the time. We can be careful and not commit sin in those situations as well. Isaiah 53 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. When I've been wronged, what's my response? Is it anger, screaming, telling everybody else what my spouse or my boss did? Jesus opened not his mouth, and that is the example that I'm to follow. Verse 23 says, when reviled, he did not revile in return. He suffered, but he did not threaten. Jesus was patient under provocation. He didn't overreact with anger, with a promise of a payback, though he could have. And how about us? How about us as wives and as women? 
how quickly do I fly off the handle when I feel like I've been offended or when I've been misunderstood or mistreated? How often do I demand an apology or expect some kind of retribution? How often do I keep records of those wrongdoings or just don't forgive at all? I need to follow Jesus and his example. And in those difficult moments, and you might say, well, how do we do that? Well, that's servant quality number three. It says in, I, I think it was in verse, uh, let's see, 23. Yeah, it is 23. It says that he committed himself to him who judges righteously. The third servant quality I see is one that's committed. Jesus entrusted himself and his situation to the Father in heaven who judges justly. The New Living says it like this. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. I like that. The message said Jesus was content to let God set things right. Am I content to let God set things right? I find quite often, sadly, I'm busy about trying to fix it myself because, wait, I'm not going to let him get away with that. I'm not going to let him act like that with me. And I try to correct the situation, be the Holy Spirit in my husband's life. And yet that's not Jesus. That's not what a servant looks like. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. He committed it. He committed all of it to the one who judges righteously. I find, ladies, it's a matter of faith and trust for us. Do I believe God sees all that occurs in my life? Do I believe that he cares? Do I believe that he's in control and can truly work all things together for my good? It's easy to say, but a lot harder to do, especially if I'm not looking to the Lord for his help. And just in case I need a little reminder, look what Jesus has already done for us. That's what these final verses tell us. He bore our sins on a tree so that we could die to sin and live righteously. You know, the priests in the Old Testament right now, if you're reading through the Bible, it's been a lot of chapters about sacrifices and how to, uh, all the, the offerings you had to bring to the Lord to atone for your sins and to, if you did this, you had to bring that. And it's, it was a lot of commotion. And yet the priests could only offer the blood of bulls and rams to kind of hide or cover the sins. Jesus offered himself, his own blood, to forgive our sins, to pay the price, to take, away, take them away forever. It says that by whose stripes we have been healed. In Isaiah 53, it says he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Here is our example. We could never live up to this sacrifice, but we can strive to be the servant that is commendable, that's called, and that's committed to the Lord. He's given us the power to say no to sin and to our flesh. He's given us the power to say no to self. In verse 25, it says, we are like sheep going astray. We, excuse me, we were like sheep going astray. Again, that's a quote from Isaiah 53, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took our guilt. We were headed in the wrong way, but Jesus, the good shepherd, found us and brought us back home. That's proof of his love and a reason to follow him. And in verse 25, it says, But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Everyone in this world is serving something or someone. Jesus already proved his love to us. I choose him to, my, to be my shepherd. 
to be my guardian, to be the overseer of my life, helping me to willingly choose to serve others, especially my love, this guy sitting next to me. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And guys, in a sense, we're gonna, I'm going to say some of the, a lot of the same things. But um, for me, it's all about to follow in Jesus' step. And again, for me, that's my lifelong pursuit. And I think Peter would say that's for all of us. It's a lifelong pursuit to follow Jesus' steps. And yet, what does that look like? And for me, I just kind of started at verse 22, and it says that he committed no sin, no sin. Now, for us men, listen, we are not Jesus. Ladies, I need to repeat that for you. Your husband is not Jesus, okay? Now, we should be trying to be and act like Jesus, but we are not. Jesus was sinless. We are sinners in need of a savior. That's why God sent his only son to die upon the cross for us. Um, but we have a sin nature. We're sinners in a fallen planet, in a sense. And, and, and yet, um, Roman tells us, all of sin falling short of the glory of God. First uh, John would tell us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is just and faithful to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hence, I can say, hi, my name is Pat. I am a sinner, <laughs> but I have allowed the blood of Jesus to wash me and to cleanse me, and he has forgiven me of all of that. And he's put his Holy Spirit within me, which begins this sanctifying process, which means I should be sinning less the longer that I'm trying to follow Jesus and walk with him. Colossians chapter 3, again, uh, you've heard me say this. You can take Colossians chapter 3 and throw the rest of the Bible away and just work the rest of your life trying to accomplish what's there in Colossians chapter 3. I'm not telling you to throw your Bible away, but there is so much stuff that is there, so rich, so deep. But he says this, Paul says this, now uh, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man and his deeds, and yet you've put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do, but above all of these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are called in one body and be thankful. Listen, we are called to put off. What? What is that? The anger, the wrath, the malice, the blasphemy, filthy language, lying. We're to put that off. We're to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Listen, men, um, your wife would love you to death if you were tender and kind and merciful and walking in humility and, and patient with her and, and not lying. You know, that, that's what she wants. And yet, this is what the scripture says. We put off, we put on. Uh, there should be less sin within my life and more of Jesus. But it also says that nor was deceit found in his mouth. Just like we read in Colossians 3, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, lying to one another, all of these are things that come forth from our mouths. And yet, if we are going to follow in Jesus' steps, we should be men 
who speak the truth. There should not be filthy language coming out of our mouths. We shouldn't be lying to our wives. That is following Jesus' steps. Verse 23 says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Again, as Mary was sharing, another version said, when he was insulted, he did not return the insult. Or, I read this one, they called him every name in the book, and he did not respond. Men, can I say that uh, it's not so easy to follow in Jesus' steps? Because again, I know for me, when I'm insulted, when I'm called names, uh, my flesh wants to respond. You know, it wants to respond to that. That's going to be one of the questions when we break up into groups. What name have you been called lately? No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. But yet, how did Jesus respond? How did Jesus respond, people? He put off the things of the flesh. He put on the things of the spirit. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Again, one version said, when he was abused, he made no threats of vengeance. Again, men, when it comes to marriage and the way we conduct ourselves with our wives... When we are giving ultimatums, when we're drawing lines in the sand, uh, more often than not, these are seen as threats. And yet, if we're going to follow in Jesus' steps, threats, line in the sands, ultimatums should not be a part of our communication with our wife. That's to follow in Jesus' steps. But again, how do we do that, as Mary shared he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He trusted in him who judges fairly. Again, he left his case in the hands of God, content to let God set things right. Men, this should be our course of action. We commit ourselves to the Lord. We leave things in the hands of God, content to let God set things right. Again, listen, for me within my life, I have put this to the test. In times of disagreements with my wife, instead of trying to fix her and get frustrated and causing more issues, which I used to do all the time, I started to trust that the Lord was more capable of taking care of the situation when I would leave things in God's hands. And yet I found the interesting thing, at least in my life, was more often than not when there was this thing and I felt like, okay, she's wrong and she needs to be fixed. And I would go, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And I turned to the Lord and I asked God, okay, God, would you please intervene? Most of the time he changed me, which tells me it wasn't her that had the problem. It was me. And yet, guys, I encourage you, put God to the test. When there's disagreements and things, go to him. Don't, don't try to fix her and try to, okay, and then just cause it to get worse. But you go and you allow God. And I'm telling you, God every time would intervene. Most of the time he fixed me, and yet the very rare times it wasn't me, he changed her. And yet I, I, I didn't even have to say a word. She would come back to me and say, man, the Lord really told me and spoke to me about this. And, uh, you know, that's, this isn't, the, you're right, Pat. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord, you know, all heaven rejoicing. I said you were right. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but again, guys, how is it that we are navigating these turbulent waters and things with our spouse? Are we walking in Jesus' hand or, or walking in his steps again? Uh, are we taking our hands off and allowing God to fix it, Be believing and trusting that he is more capable of taking care and fixing the things that need to be fixed. But again, guys, 
with you, like with me, be open that maybe God wants to change some things in me. I find that as a lifelong process as well, changing me and, and forming, fashioning me into the image of his son because that's what he wants. He wants us to be the fragrance, the fragrance of Christ within our homes, within our relationships. So let's follow his steps and allow him to move and work. Amen? Again, Father, we do thank you, Lord, so much for your word. And as we go through, Lord, again, some of these things can be difficult and hard. But, Lord, it's what you're calling us to do. It's what you're asking us to do. And that is to lay down our lives, Lord, to surrender, to, to really yield to you of what you want to do within our marriages. And, Lord, I pray and ask, would you help us, instruct us again as this whole thing about submission Really more so, it's how we honor, look at other people. And, and Lord, I pray and ask that we would be honoring our spouses, lifting them up and encouraging and building them up, Lord, of what you would want. We would follow in your steps, Lord. You gave your life, and that's really what you're asking us as we get into next week. You're asking for and from all of us to lay our lives down for our spouse. So. Continue to speak and minister. Again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, and all God's couples agree by saying amen, amen. amen.